Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you. I have some announcements, but we're going to save those to the end of the service today. So we're going to dive right into the message this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. It's our last message in this great letter from Paul to the Christians at the church at Thessalonica. And then beginning next week, we're going to start a new series going through the fall talking about God's secret plan. Some of you may have noticed the video out there, both to promote the Wednesday night series and the Sunday series. Would encourage you to share that with others. Uh, God has a secret plan, and he wants you to be a part of that secret plan. Do you know what that secret plan is? We're going to be starting to talk about that next Sunday. So as Paul's wrapping up this great, letter to the local church at Thessalonica. He's writing them to prepare to live in challenging times. He's saying, look, those who are living in the last days before the return of Christ, we're going to face a lot of challenges and we need to be strong and we need to be ready and we need to be prepared. And so Paul's laying out how can we as followers of Jesus Christ Be strong, be ready, be prepared to face the challenges of living in the last days. Now, last week we saw that Paul wanted to differentiate or make a distinction between Christians and and those who simply want Jesus as their Savior and those who are living under the authority of him as their Lord. And Paul is saying that Jesus didn't just die to bring us into a right relationship with him so that he could save us and forgive us of our sins and so we could have an eternal home in heaven. He did all that also so that he could be the Lord of our life. So that instead of us saying, God, I I want you as my Savior, but I want no parts of you as my Lord. I, I accept you as my Savior, but now it's my life. I get to call the shots. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I get to lead. I get to plan my own life. I get to direct my own steps. Paul says that's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is to be our shepherd. He's to be in the lead. He's to be making the plans. And yet many Christians don't live under the authority of the Lordship of Christ. And now this passage of Scripture, Paul's saying there's another difference we need to make. He says there are those Christians within the body of Christ in a church just like ours who are disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. And then there are other Christians that are undisciplined followers of Jesus Christ. And God is calling all of us to be disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. It is what separates the Christian, if you will, from someone that the Bible would describe and call a disciple. A disciple is more than just a Christian. A disciple is a devoted, disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why several years ago God led me to write that devotional called Digging into Discipleship. It was about reminding Christians 
There's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple, you see. In fact, getting people even into the Word of God every day through that daily devotion is part of learning to be a disciplined believer. In the church today, many are satisfied with just trying to bring people to a a salvation knowledge of Jesus. Just, Just get them saved. Just get them somehow to a relationship with God. But if that's our goal as the church, then we are missing the purpose that Jesus Christ himself gave to us. Because his marching orders to us as the church was to go into all the world and make disciples. Not just get people to know me in a personal way, not just to bring them into the kingdom and get them saved. No, the marching orders for the church from Jesus himself is make disciples. You see, my job as the pastor, our job as spiritual leaders and as people in this local church is to create an environment where disciples are being made. Not just where people can know the Lord, but where disciplined, devoted followers of Jesus Christ are being made. And that's what Paul wants to talk about today. Because Paul says it is essential, especially in the days in which we live, that if we're going to be strong and not weak, we need to be disciplined. So many people, and I mentioned this Wednesday night in my study, they run away from difficulty. You know, when the going gets tough, they, they cut out. If, if they run into incompatible people, you know, well, I'm done. You know, anything that's, you know, it gets a little difficult, they just throw up their hands and they quit. All of these things. And Paul says that's not being a disciplined believer. Notice three times in this passage, and we're not just going to go down through verse by verse necessarily, but I want to share with you the main thought that Paul has in this passage, and it's on being a disciplined believer and why. Notice he begins in verse 6 by referring to discipline, if you will, by talking about making sure that we're careful around those that are undisciplined, if you will, in their life. And then in verse 7... Notice he says, when we were with you, we were not without discipline. And then down in verse 11, he once again says, we hear that there are some of you living in Thessalonica an undisciplined life. First of all, let's talk about what this word in the original language means. The word undisciplined means to be inconsistent. It means to lack faithfulness, to be unreliable and not dependable. In other words, Paul is saying the goal of our life as a Christian should be we are living in such a way that we can be counted on. And if you, and we're going to get there, if you look at the context of this and so many other places in the Bible, it's not just being counted on by God, it's being counted on by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, yeah. See, what Paul is saying is Christians have to wrap their minds around the fact that we have a duty, an obligation, and a responsibility to each other. Not just to the Lord, but to each 
other. And therefore, we are responsible. We are obligated. It is our duty to live a disciplined life because we are mutually dependent on one another. Wow. Can I tell you, I don't think most Christians get that today. And the reason I say that, as I've said in the last couple of weeks, is because their attitude towards the local church would be different. Their investment in their local church with their brothers and sisters in Christ would be different. Their attendance would be different. Their service would be Everything would be different if they really understood what Paul's saying here. Most Christians, I don't have a duty or obligation or responsibility towards my brothers or sisters in Christ. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, Paul says to the church in Rome, in his book of Romans, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to this, we belong to one another. Wow. We belong to each other? Yeah. We have an obligation and a responsibility and a duty towards one another. And that's when you know that many of the majority of Christians are missing it today when you start talking to them about local church, because most of them don't even think it's important to even go to a local church and be a part of a local church. And yet I would push back on that very strongly and say, if you think you can become a mature, growing Disciple of Jesus Christ, apart from the local church, you show me in the Bible where that is. Because my Bible doesn't teach that. My Bible teaches that that is the instrument that God chose to make disciplined believers. That's why he laid it on the churches to make disciples. That's why he calls pastors. That's why he calls leaders in the church. That's why he calls all of us to be a part of it because we all are to come with the mentality we belong to each other. And I'm not just going to church for me, which is again what you hear a lot of Christians say today. When you start talking to them even about the local church and if they go and where they go and all of that, they'll start listing off the reasons why they chose that church is because, well, it has this for me and it has this for my kids and it has this for my family and it's all about me. And there's no sense of I'm part of this body, first of all, hopefully, because this is a place where I'm taught the word of God at the depth that I need to be challenged to where I can grow and become a disciplined, devoted follower of Christ. And secondly, this is a place where I'm going to immerse myself in because it's my responsibility to at least find some local church where that's my level of commitment. And that's what I would say here today to you and to those of you that will listen to this on podcast. I'm not asking you to, you know, immerse yourself and be part of the Oasis Church, although I welcome it. I'm just telling you that as a Christian... If you are a born-again Christian, it is your duty, your obligation, your responsibility to find some local church where you not only grow, but where you look at it the way Paul is teaching here. I've got to be somebody that my brothers and sisters can count on. 
I'm reliable. I'm dependable. I'm consistent in my attendance, in my giving, in my serving, all that, because I understand something. The biblical principle is I'm not just in this body for me. I'm in this so that others can benefit from me, my service, my talents, my abilities, my gifts, whatever I can bring to the table. They're dependent on me like I am on them. And therefore, I need to look at it that way. That's being a disciplined believer. That's what it means to be disciplined, you see. And that obviously entails so many other things. A disciplined believer is going to be willing to take responsibility. A disciplined believer is going to be so consistent and so reliable and so dependable that if, if the ball is dropped somehow, they, people know that they're going to be there. I can tap them at the last moment and they'll fill a hole. For instance, I'll just use our ministry and a, a piece of our ministry as an example. Crystal's children's ministry over there. There are some times where even though people say, I'm going to be there, Crystal, on Sunday and I'm going to serve, they don't show up. Well, first of all, that's not being a disciplined believer. If you and I say we're going to be somewhere and do something and this is what we're going to do, then we do it. We do it. But if somehow something does come up, it's nice to know that There are people there that you know, and she does have those, that she could go up to at the last minute and go, hey, somebody didn't show. Can you fill in? Absolutely. We're there. That's discipline. Because that means that that we know you can be counted on, even at the last minute, you see. and, And Paul says, it's so important to have those disciplined believers in the body of Christ who get it. They understand we're not just in this for ourselves. We belong to one another, as Paul says to the Roman Christians. Other Christians are counting on me. I get that. I hope you do, though, too. I I know that many of you pray for me consistently and lift me up to the Lord, and I appreciate that. But I also know how much you count on me. You, you count on me being the, the man of God. You, you count on me being faithful to the Lord. Faithful to my way. Faithful to my family. And faithful to you. You count on that. Faithful to God's word. I get that. But you've got to understand. I count on you too. Others count on you too. We all need to count on each other because we all belong to one another. And that's why then Paul gives such strong words about how we then are are to look at undisciplined believers. Notice in verse 6. We command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get any higher authority than that. Keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life. Now, he's not saying physically, if, if you exist in the same local church with each other, it's not like you can physically separate. And, and God wouldn't want that anyway. The words talk about, though, be very careful and very cautious. If you're seeking to live a disciplined, believing life, that you don't allow those around you who are not being disciplined in their life, who are, und- who are unfaithful, inconsistent, not dependable, not reliable, that they bring you down to their level. Don't let them influence you the opposite way, which is so easy today. 
How many Christians compare themselves with other Christians and go, well, you know, so-and-so, they never show up. They never can be counted. Why am I busting my tail? Why am I always there? Why am I putting in so much? Because we can begin to look at the undisciplined lives of other Christians and we can begin to start to let our life slip. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. We have to be strong enough in the midst of others who are living undisciplined lives to continue to live a disciplined life in the midst of undisciplined lives. Paul says that's how strong we need to be. Instead of letting them suck us down, we need to bring them up, which he'll say here in just a moment. In fact, notice down here in verse 14. He says, if anyone does not obey our message through this letter, take note of him. Do not associate closely with him. It literally in the original means don't entwine yourself with that person, that brother or sister who's living an undisciplined life to the point where they negatively influence your life. Be careful. Be cautious. Don't let the unfaithfulness of others affect your faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, here's the body dynamic. Here's the way God intended for the church to work. Because we belong to each other and we have a responsibility to each other. Notice what he calls all believers to do. Admonish them. You know what that means? Exert positive peer pressure. In other words, the way it should work is that there are so many people, say, in a local church that are living disciplined lives that the few in that church that are living undisciplined lives will raise their game because they're around all these people who get it. They're around all these disciplined believers who are faithful, who can be counted on, who are reliable, who are dependable, who are disciplined in their living to the point where it's like, you know what, if I'm going to be around these people, I need to step it up. Exerting positive peer pressure. As someone who followed sports most of my life, And any of you that know anything, if you've ever followed sports, you know that this principle exists even in the secular world in things like sports. There are certain teams. There are certain organizations. I don't care what you're talking about. Hockey, baseball, football, basketball, whatever. That have a reputation. That if you're on that team, you better not act like you did when you played for so-and-so. You know, you you might have taken some plays off on that team, but you better not on this team because you'll be sitting the bench. Because this team has a certain standard. And it's very interesting because I've watched this because it has nothing to do with whether they're a Christian or not. I've seen it over the years. So there's this guy who wasn't, you know, very disciplined on this team. And all of a sudden he gets traded or whatever to this team. And because of the expectations and just the environment and, and whatever, it's like, Oh, I better raise my game because I'm not going to cut it on this team because there's some expectations here. There's a standard here that that other organization, that other team didn't have. That's what Paul's trying to get the church to see. If anybody should have high standards instead of as we live in the society where, you know what, because people can't cut it, we just continue to dumb it down and, as we say, lower the standard and just make it less and less and less. God never lowers his standard. 
The standard is always, we should act like Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, Paul said to the Romans, even Jesus Christ pleased not himself. Romans 15, verse 3. Well, if Jesus didn't live to please himself, then how can you and I get away with saying, yeah, I'm part of the body of Christ, but I'm here to please myself. I'm not here to live for others. I'm not here out of any duty, obligation, or responsibility towards other people. I'm here for me. Really? And so Paul says, we need to live disciplined lives. It's important. It's essential to the body of Christ. It's how all of us remain strong. It's how all of us stay on our game. And in a sense, iron sharpening iron. It's how we all help each other to stay at the level and to keep growing that we need. By the way, a lot of Christians, we use that iron sharpening. You you realize when iron sharpens iron, there's friction. There's sparks. Again, that's where Christians sometimes... When they walk away from relationships that somehow, it's like, well, you know, I'm just not very compatible with that person. We don't fit. Well, maybe God doesn't have you there for you and them to fit. Maybe God has you with them because God understands that with them, you and I will grow. We'll be stretched. If we stayed around everybody that we fit with and we're compatible with, we would never reach our full potential. But it's when God places us in a body like he does, where we're around a little bit different people who can get us out of our comfort zones and stretch us, is where we reach our full potential. Think of all the stories in the Bible where this takes place. Think about somebody like David, that God said, no, I don't want you to kill that Saul. I want you to let him rub you so that you never become like Saul. Let him throw some spears at you. Learn not to throw spears like Saul did. See? Where there'd be a lot of Christians, it's like, if I'm in a local church, somebody starts throwing spears at me, I'll just go down to the next corner and go to the other church. What if, if, if for your spiritual benefit and the benefit of others, you needed that Saul in your life? See, we, we don't have that mentality today amongst Christians. Christians are always looking even today for the easy way, the easy road, the road that gives me the less, you know, challenge. That's what I'm looking for. But that is not the road that will produce disciplined believers in Jesus Christ. Why is it so important? Well, notice Paul goes on to say, here's why. Verse 7. For you know yourselves... That we, that you, how you must imitate us, verse 7, because we did not behave without discipline. I want to take you back to the word imitate. It means to be a mentor or an example. See, the reason why you and I are responsible, obligated, it's our duty as believers to live disciplined lives is because we're supposed to be in the body an example, a pattern, a model for other believers to follow. That's part of our responsibility. In fact, he says this again in verse 9. Notice he says, We gave ourselves 
as an example. In other words, we set ourselves aside. We became selfless so that we could serve as a model or a pattern for you in Thessalonica to imitate, to follow. Because we understood something. If we're part of the body, if we're part of the church, we have an obligation to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to be setting the highest example. I mean, golly, that's true for us as parents with our children, grandparents with our grandchildren, but that's also true outside of our family physically to our spiritual family. Are we looking at it that way? That we are to be setting an example for others to follow. Well, what kind of example are we setting? What kind of legacy or footprints are we leaving? Are we a disciplined believer? An undisciplined believer. Are we consistent, reliable, dependable, faithful, counted on, or not so much? Jesus said, make disciples. And here's why. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, now such people, and in the context he was talking about people who aren't even willing to work and put in a day's work. I love what Paul says. He says, if somebody in the body is not willing to work, then they shouldn't eat. Boy, we need to hear that today in our age of entitlement. Where people just think, I, I just want a handout. The Bible says if you're not willing to work, if you're not willing to acquire something by working for it, then you shouldn't eat. Because God's principle is you work for what you get. Because Paul says working and developing a work ethic is living a disciplined life. Waiting for something big to happen, like winning the lottery, is not going to develop discipline. It's the same principle of there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. The way you and I become more like Jesus is through a disciplined life. It's through being consistent every day, doing and starting with the little things. The little things. Like... Making our bed, picking up our clothes, doing things that, that will set up others for success. Not just thinking about me, but thinking about how it impacts others. And then that leads to a discipline in, my, in the Word of God every day, a disciplined prayer life, a discipline, disciplined worship time with me and God where I worship Him. It means to learn to be punctual and on time. That's discipline. Out of respect for others. It's all encompassing discipline. And Paul says it's lacking too much amongst the people of God. So here's what Paul's words are in verse 12. Such people we command you and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly. 
And I thought, wonder what that means in the original. So I studied it. Very interestingly, it's a military term. You wouldn't think of someone working quietly in a military setting. But here's what it means. In the original Greek, it means to stay at one's post consistently. See, here's the problem. Many Christians don't even know what post they're supposed to be at. And then to be there consistently. Because that's what a soldier is all about. What good is a soldier to an army if they're not at their post and they can't be counted on? They're not reliable. It's going to negatively affect the whole army. Many of you know my love for history and especially the Civil War. And if you know anything about the Battle of Gettysburg, you know that one man, one general who got his army a little bit out of line on the second day of the battle almost cost the Union Army the Battle of Gettysburg. Just by getting them offline a little bit, General Meade said, no, I want the line of the Union Army to be this way. And this guy said, no, I think I'll take my men out just a little bit. And he exposed the sides of his soldiers to enemy fire. And they almost broke through and won the battle. See, it's important that when you and I understand that we are soldiers of Jesus Christ and we are part of a greater army, that we stay at our post and that we stay in line, that we work together and that we're consistent in it. And then he goes on to say, and so provide their own food to eat. And then he says, but you, brothers and sisters, and here to me is the key verse of the whole passage. Do not grow weary in doing what is right. Again, I was like, I think I know what that means, but I want to study that a little bit further. So I did. And I found out that the growing weary means to stay focused and to stay passionate about something. And then I started to study the phrase, doing what's right. And it has nothing to do with good deeds. It doesn't mean, hey, don't, don't lose your passion to be good deed doers. Even though there's nothing wrong with being a good deed doer. But in the context, that's not what this phrase means. It means to live in a way that inspires and motivates your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means. So Paul is saying, here's the key to it all. Here's here's my thought for you in Thessalonica and my thought for you in Chandler, Arizona. Paul says, stay passionate and focused in your life so that you will live in a way that your life, your Christian life, your devoted, disciplined life will inspire and motivate other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me ask you this morning. Don't want you to answer, but I want to ask you this for you to think about. Do you believe you're living right now in a way that inspires and motivates other Christians? Let me ask you another question. How many Christians do you know in your personal life, you know them, who inspire and motivate you? Do you know of anybody? We're supposed to, because again, back to, we're all responsible to live that way. We're all responsible 
and obligated before God as his children to live in such a way that we not only belong to the Lord, but that we understand we belong to one another. And therefore, it is our duty to live in such a way that our life will inspire and motivate others. We just don't know what the future holds. A month ago, one month ago, Tom Stanton was at our Wednesday night Bible study at Chuck and Anissa's house. And today he's in heaven. That's how quickly things can change. I think Paul is writing this to the Thessalonians with a sense of urgency. He's saying, come on, guys. Life's too short. The days in which we live are too demanding. We need to step up our game. We need to stop playing games. We need to realize that we will never become a disciplined believer apart from the local church because that's God's design. You and I can't expect to do things our way and succeed. If God said, this is the way I choose to do it, then we better jump on board with the way God said instead of trying to create our own way and think somehow it's going to work. It doesn't. It doesn't. And we need to be a part of a local church where we are taught the word of God consistently at a depth where we can grow consistently. And we need to be a part of a local church community, a part of brothers and sisters in Christ, Where we say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about about me realizing I have an obligation to live a certain life so that my life can inspire and motivate and encourage other believers. That's what my life needs to be about. And that's what Paul, that was his final thought. As he talked to the Thessalonians. I'd like to, in closing today, have you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This, these verses are the verses that we actually started our new Wednesday night study last Wednesday with. Because they are the key verses of this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. But they are very applicable here today as well. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. I'd like you to just read these verses along with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you that in case I am delayed to let you know, and as a young pastor, what he's saying is, I want you as the pastor then to instruct and teach these people how the people of God ought to conduct themselves 
in the household of God because it is the church of the living God. It is the support and bulwark of the truth. Now, I want to direct your attention to a couple key words there. The word ought means necessary. Paul is saying, Pastor Timothy, I want you to instruct your people there at the church at Ephesus, that local church in Ephesus, you pastor, how they must conduct themselves as the people of God in the church of God. In other words, Paul's saying, you realize there's a certain code of conduct for Christians in relationship to them being part of the church. It's not just, I can do church however I want to. No. No. It's finding out how God says church should be done and doing it His way. And as I said Wednesday night, there's two things here. One, that means that as a pastor or as church leaders, we're responsible before God to make sure that the the church that we're doing is the way God designed church to be. Not to do church the way we want it to be, the way we think it should be. No. There's a certain code for how you do church. And then secondly, on all of us, if we're part of the body of Christ, if we are part of the household, the family of God, then there's a certain way we should live our lives. There's a certain code of conduct for us as Christians from God about being part of the church. Not again. Notice he doesn't say outside of church. He says there's a certain way to behave in the household of God. And part of it starts with how do we, what's our attitude even towards our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we even sense any kind of responsibility, obligation, or duty towards our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or not? Paul says we should. And that kind of conduct needs to be taught. I feel like I fulfilled my obligation. I don't think any of you could ever get to heaven and go, well, God... Pastor Jeff never taught us about that. I never knew that that's what the Bible taught. Nope, can't say that now. Sorry. <laughs> but I hope that we will take the Word of God to heart and not push it away, not refuse it, but receive it. Would you stand with me? We're going to end our service today by singing, Take My Life and Let It Be. And even though many Christians may think that this song is just about being devoted to the Lord, let's remember something. If I am a Christian who is devoted to the Lord, then guess what? I will be a Christian who's also devoted to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't be, say, oh God, I, I'm committed to you, I'm devoted to you, but I'm totally uncommitted and not devoted to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It can't be that way. It cannot be that way. If we truly say, Lord, you have my life, then we're also saying to the Lord, I also recognize and acknowledge I belong to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I not only belong to you, Lord, I belong to them. I have a responsibility, a duty, and an obligation.
May we sing this song to the Lord today.